I'm Chris Turner, and this is the Empowered Parent Podcast. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Christopher Turner. This evening, we are joined by a special guest. One of our favorites. Ryan's very excited. (laughs) Coming to us from Portland, Oregon is Jelana Goebel. Hi, Jelana. Hey, good to be with you guys. Well, thanks for being on. Uh, Jelana has quite the resume, shall we say. Uh, She's a foster mom, uh, then a bio mom, and then an adoptive mom in that order, which I found uh, a little fascinating because that's just not quite the order a, a lot of people go in, in, in our particular field of parenting. That's all, that's, that's almost the order we went, we went. Almost. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you, you were the, the only other couple I could think of that was really <laughs> close to that. Your kindred spurts go, but we'll yeah, just figure right. it out. <laughs> and so, uh, and, uh, Jelan's written a book about uh, foster care, kind of, uh, all the things that she wishes somebody would have told her before she and her husband started on their foster journey. And then she's heavily involved uh, with helping foster kids throughout the state of Oregon. So we're going to kind of talk about all that stuff tonight. Perfect. And be, and also we want to talk a little bit some personal stuff. Um, you know, um, Jelana, we, we met Jelana at a time in our lives when we were really reeling. Um, and and um, it's really kind of like I'd said, uh, Genesis chapter 2 in sort of this part of our story. Uh, right at the beginning o- over there, um, you know, after after um, I left Irving Bible Church and we left Empower to Connect and we started doing things uh, under, you know, One Big Happy Home, um, Jelana had contacted us and said, hey, can you come up to, to Portland and do some um, and do some uh, training up here for churches and parents? And uh, and we said, yeah, of course. And, and, and I don't know if I've ever told you this part of the story, Jelana, but um, but you'd said, well, how do you want to get paid? And I said, well, if we get half up front and then half when we're done, that would be great. And you agreed to that uh, on the telephone, uh, but you sent the entire fee up front. Uh, I don't know if that was just easier for accounting terms or we didn't charge enough. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's in the past now. But, but, but here's why that's, that's, I mentioned the money. Um, my last day in the church, when I came home, with, I brought all the other stuff out of my office and I left the last day I was in that church. I turned my keys in, and I came home with everything that was left in my office in a um, in just a banker's box. Mm. I, I pulled into the driveway, and I opened uh, and I opened up um, the mail. And in the mail was one item of mail, and it was a check from um, from your organization, which at the time was was the Portland Leadership Foundation. It's now um, the contingent. Correct. And it was a check. And, uh, and I opened it and it was for the full amount. It wasn't for the half that we requested up front. And I remember walking into the house and, uh, and you know, and every, and Kayla, Kayla was kind of, you know, a, com- a combination of, of feeling, of feeling bad and feeling compassion for me. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and she had this, oh, I'm sorry, honey, look on her face. was seeing me carry my little banker's box. Mm-hmm. And I said, honey, everything, the Lord just told me that everything's going to be okay. And she said, well, how did you do that? And I said, my last day on the job, we got paid for our first engagement afterwards. Like, like I really took that as a sign 
Hmm. Um, that, that God was saying, look, man, don't worry about this. I, I got you. Everything's going to be just great. And so I don't know if I've ever told you that before. No, um, it's the first time is, I'm hearing that. That is part of, part of why, um, why you uh, hold a special place in our hearts. And then we got up to Portland and spent time with you and, and Brooke and, and some of the other folks on your team and some of the people in up there in Portland. And, and just really, I, I, re, I don't know if you remember this, but before we left the church that day, I said, hey, can we be real friends and not just ministry friends? <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Yes. And I said, of course, I would love to be real friends. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it was like snowing in Portland. And yeah. And you were telling us this is not normal. This is like, not normal. It's really not normal. That's my only memory of Portland. I'm like, Guys, I'm we're like, such troopers. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm from like San Diego weather. And so, uh, you know, when, when it's cold enough to have snow on the ground, I'm like, wow, me, Lord. Yes. Um, but, but we're, and so you guys, um, your organization owns a house. And so you, you put like, so you, you guys put us up in this, this, this house. Um, but, but it's on a hill. And, uh, and so, oh, yeah. and so we didn't, we, yeah, the hillside house, ironically. Yes. Uh, oh, or not ironically, not ironically accurately. Actually, that's what I meant to yeah. say. Thank you. Accurately. Uh, and so because the snow had happened, we decided, uh, because, you know, I'm from like San Diego weather, so I have no idea how to drive on snow. And then when it like snows once every three years in Dallas, and, like nobody here knows, no how, one to knows how to drive on snow. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm not driving. So we just Ubered it. And so right. it wasn't bad um, getting from um, getting from the airport to all the way back to the Hillside House. But the next morning when we had to come to the church to speak, uh, and by hillside, I mean, like, it's a legitimate hill. It it's isn't like just a like hill. a false Straight flat. Down. It's a re- legitimate hill. Yeah. And this I night, can affirm that. It is a legitimate <laughs> hill. Yeah. And so this dude shows up um, in like a, in a Honda Civic, not a very big car. It's like, you know, not all wheel drive, whatever. And, and not he, instilling a lot of confidence. In no, no, I'm like Mr. terrified. And, I'm, and, I'm like, <laughs> and, and so I, I've, I've been in two automobile accidents mm. in my life and both of them were in the snow. I mean, I, I was rear ended 10 days before our wedding. They had to, they had to tow, scrap the car, yep. bent the chassis. Uh, so I'm having all of my, my trauma. Let's bring it back to what we're <laughs> all of my, my, my personal trauma flooding back. And this guy, he's like the happiest dude and he's the chattiest dude. And, and I'm like, are we okay? He's like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, puts his car in. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> like I was convinced he was not stopping at the bottom of that hill. Oh my Because we had to turn right to get out of the neighborhood. And he was right. like driving like the, the roads were dry. Yeah. So you've only been in two auto accidents in yes. your life? Yeah. Lightweight. Uh, I've never been in one. Oh my. I know. Mama. mama. Thank you, I, Lucky. Made up for I it have, in some other ways, Kayla. I did. <laughs> I did. Oh, yes, oh this look, playing it right down the middle because I thought this was going to be all <laughs> Kayla all the time. <laughs> well, I did. So I did have this one time that I was babysitting for a family and I took the kids and I was driving to take them to McDonald's. Mom had, I can't remember, mom had had, like she'd fallen or something and she'd had to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And so she said, will you just get the kids out of the house? And so I came and picked him up and I took him to McDonald's and on the way to McDonald's, my brakes went out and I've got two kids in the back seat. I'm in high school. I was like 16 or 17 at the time oh, my word. and we're driving and my brakes go out. Thankfully on the one part of this two lane road where there was a shoulder, the rest of it was ditch. Like every other part of it, it just went into this ditch and this one space, there was this like little bit of a shoulder and I pulled over and like 
pulled on like the emergency brake. And then I called my dad crying, going, I don't know what to do. And the kids are going, I can see McDonald's. <laughs> wow. Can, can you walk and cry at the I same know. time? I, it was like, we just want to go get a cheeseburger and play in the play, right. playland. Well, and <laughs> it was before cell phones because, you know, this is when Kayla, I was in high school. Surely you're not old enough to remember a time without cell phones. Yeah. <sighs> so I had to take these kids across this busy road to the grocery store and like go to the pay phone and call my dad collect. Like it wasn't like oh, wow. I could You didn't have a cell phone or 25 cents? No. Uh, I didn't have money on me. So I didn't get in a wreck, but I do have some, you know, trauma related to trauma. breaks. Yeah, it is when terrifying it comes when a car is kind of Yeah, they're kind of necessary. Oh my gosh, it was. It was crazy. And it was like, I don't know what had happened. My, my brakes just like snapped. So uh, I mean, it was an old car. So. And as a side note to our younger listeners, there's this thing called the payphone. That you probably yes. have never seen before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We'll, and you can call collect if you don't have money on we'll you to put to, in there. We'll link to a photo from Google Images on <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Jelana. We're gonna stop talking because you are um you're super interesting. So oh, we'll, we'll, yes. lob something at her, Christopher. Well let's let's start with the very beginning. You know, what made you and your husband decide to foster? Great question. Um you know, I didn't grow up like knowing anybody that did foster care. It wasn't like a thing. Uh, it wasn't anything mm-hmm. that I was really familiar with. I kind of knew the hazy concept of, of fostering. I think I'd probably seen like a poster somewhere, but no one in my community, nobody in my church community, I didn't know anyone doing foster care. Um, after I graduated from college, I studied Spanish and I actually went down to Guatemala Um during the time that my husband and I were engaged. And then we came back to San Francisco, got my master's in teaching um, English as a second language. I really thought that my path was going to be working with immigrants and refugees. And that's why I pursued um, getting a degree in English as a second language. And then um, actually, this is pretty funny. My husband, uh, we were talking one day and I, and I said something like, I always thought I would marry somebody who spoke Spanish. And my husband goes, so you're kind of saying that you're like dream guy would have spoken Spanish. And I was like, well, you are my dream guy. We've been married for like, you know, a year and a half at that point. I was like, but yeah, I did kind of think that I would marry somebody that spoke Spanish. She's like, that's it. Let's go. Like literally. And so we like, basically, um, we were renting a little apartment in San Francisco at the time. And, and, um, I finished school and we went down together. Um, so we, you know, I, I was there after um, college. We lived in San Francisco, went to school. And then two, like two years later, we went down as a couple and he went to Spanish language school and I taught English wow. and I actually returned to the orphanage where I had been like two years prior. And that was a really formative time for me to be that time when we were engaged and, and I was in Guatemala alone to, um, just really have my heart transformed. I was like living at an orphanage. I was sleeping in a trailer with kids that were some of which were in my second and third grade class, the orphan, the teacher at the orphanage. Cause there's not really like two weeks notice in Guatemala, just up and quit. And mm-hmm. I arrived and was 20, one and a half, 22, something like that. And she's like, Oh, you're bilingual. Well, you start tomorrow. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, I'm just here to, to teach English. And I ended up finishing the school year with the kiddos. Um, oh, two wow. years later when Luke and I 
went down together. We um, ended up renting an apartment in the city and still going on weekends to offer respite care to Mm. the workers that lived full time with the kids. They were often teaching in the classroom and lived full time um, in the trailers with them. And so that was really where Luke and my heart was kind of cultivated. And for thinking about what the possibilities would be once we returned to the States. Um, He went to graduate school in Buffalo, New York, where his family's from. And it was literally on the plane from Antigua to New York that we kind of looked at each other and very naively just said like, where are the vulnerable children here? Like in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that is what led us to foster care when we were the ripe old age of I think 24, maybe 25, we took our, our fostering classes. It, you know, we went in thinking that we were going to be like respite providers, kind of like how we were at the orphanage where we're kind of just doing our own, living our own life, but then welcoming someone for the weekend or, and um, it's often the case, you know, if you have a pulse and no criminal record, they're like, you'd be perfect at this, you know? Um, and so I just feel no like, what, what about us? Like, what about our experience made us think we were prime candidates to be like, not only respite, but foster parents, but therapeutic foster parents with exactly uh-huh. this much parenting experience. Like, uh-huh. oh, we were such a great fit, but that is what we, we just kind of moved along. We got swept up in it and we're like, sure, we'll be therapeutic foster parents. We've never been parents before, but <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. So we took the classes and pretty soon we had two um, boys that were placed with us. It was one of the hardest experiences of my mm-hmm. life uh, at that time, six and nine-year-old boy, the nine-year-old um, kept on running away. Mm. There was a lot of violence. There was just a lot of um, animosity, the nine-year-old to the six-year-old. I just was in so much over my head really, really Mm. quickly. Um, Yeah, the six-year-old ended up staying with us for um, a year. Then we transitioned him to a pre-adoptive placement that fell through And then he was living at a group home and we were still very intentional in seeing him. And then one day I went to pick him up and he was just gone. And that was the abrupt ending of our connection with our, our first foster son. Mm. But what is so crazy about this, Ryan and Kayla and Chris is that, um, when he turned 19 after a lifetime of having his, you know, birthday circled on the calendar, it was good 13, 14 years of no connection. Um, one night I just got what I would describe as like a sixth sense, Holy spirit, mama bear Mm. instinct of like, I just need to reach out to this young man. He had a really unusual name. So fairly easy to find. find And I just was able to find him. And I wrote this message on, um, private message on Facebook. And I, I just didn't, you know, what do you say to someone? And it Mm. seemed to me, you know, his picture, his profile picture was like with a hard bottle of alcohol and like red bloodshed Mm. eyes. So like, I kind of see like, maybe things are not going awesome right now, but, um, I just said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. I had the privilege. You were, you know, I had the privilege of, of being your foster mom when you were in first grade. Um, I had to say, I don't know if it's, you know, I hope it's you. I kind of had to like, I didn't want to come across as like, I know it's you, you know, right. do you remember me? Um, a lot of backtracking. And then I woke up the next day and he 
he wrote back like, Oh my gosh, I've been searching for you. Like you're still my mom. Um, I, you know, I remember this time fondly Luke and I spoke on speakerphone and it was like immediately mom, dad, which was so weird, you guys, because Mm -hmm. we didn't have any other kids in the home. And he just referred to us as Mr. Luke and Miss Jelana. And so that is what led us like three and a half years ago to being where we are now, which is kind of reclaiming one another Mm. um, as family and having um, quite a lot of experiences (laughs) together, which include, you know, connecting and um, advocating before a judge and flying to middle America or middle of the United States to go get him and be there when he was released from jail to, you know, his girlfriend having his babies to them moving out to Portland. I mean, there's just been a lot in our story. It's kind mm-hmm. of been a fast and furious connection, but it's also given me um, a lot of empathy for how challenging it is for um, kids that bounce their whole yeah. life, um, as you well know. So. Yeah. So, but that is, that is, it's very special to me that he is like, we, he calls me mom and I call him the son of my heart. And, you know, he called me for mother's day. I just, there's like a lot of warm and fuzzy sound bites and, and it's so genuine. And I hold on to that. And there's also a lot of really hard things as well. Yeah. Um, but I love him and adore him. And so it just feels very special and a little bit surreal that he's the first one to walk through my door at age six, holding a garbage bag and then out to me on the backside of a jail at age 20 holding a garbage bag and then just, you know, continuing to walk alongside him in the ups and downs of life. Wow. So in the, in addition to the son of your heart, what's your family makeup these days? Um, I feel I have a almost 16 year old biological daughter, a 13 year old biological daughter, an 11 year old who we fostered as an infant. And then three years later, we're able to his plan changed to adoption. So we adopted him. Um, I have walked really closely with his first mom um, and developed a relationship with her. So we're going into to 12 years of, of journeying alongside one another. Um, she actually had another child who is my 11 year old's full biological brother who we have fostered twice. We fostered mm-hmm. him as a baby, returned him to her treatment facility, walked alongside her for five years. Um, and then she relapsed and the state had to intervene. And, um, so we were tapped on the shoulder as a relative provider. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, because we adopted, um, the brother of the child that was in foster care. And so we, he has now been with his mom for, um, coming up on, gosh, I think it's like three and a half years at this point. And we're still in touch weekly with them. Um, so she remains a big part of her life as does her child that calls me auntie. Um, and then we also have an eight year old that we, um, said yes to for the weekend and he is, Hmm. he's eight and a half and has never left. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of how it goes in foster care, right? It's like you think they're going to be there for a short time and they're there forever. You think they're going to be there forever and they're there for a short, short time and it never it's, it's like a lot of maybes. It's a lot. It's, a of, lot, it's so many maybes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think that there's a different frame. There's a different lens when you say, can I do something for a weekend versus can I do something forever? It's like two yeah, very yeah. different questions. And yet, you know, we just, we say yes. Right? right. And in the world of foster care, it's a, 
I'm saying yes, but I don't exactly know like right. what or even who I'm saying yes to. Because I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, if if somebody had had set you down mm -hmm. and told you what it was going to be like, mm -hmm. you still said yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, I just feel like, yes, I, I feel like foster care invites you like once you once you kind of dive in and once you are exposed to just kind of the undercurrent that's always running underneath society of like what happens when there's no safety net for children, what happens, you know, you look at any hot button social issue, as you all well know, and you go upstream from that and and who takes care of those kids when there's no safety net for those impacted by domestic violence and untreated mental illness and substance abuse. And, and so I felt like it was such a, it was such an awakening for me to be in the world of foster care and to see that, that yes, I would, I would say yes. And also for, for the children that are, that are mine, of, of course, I would say yes to them a thousand times over. And I also wish that I had been a little bit more prepared for that. Yes. Yeah. I always tell, you know, when we're talking to new families or people who are considering adoption and foster care, I'm like, on some level, I want to scare you a little bit because I think that yeah. if I tell you enough, um, if I tell you so much that you're scared off, then you're probably not ready to start the process. Mm -hmm. um, that you, there's a little more learning that needs to happen. There's a little more, you know, something that needs to happen because I don't think everybody's yeah. called to adopt or foster. Yeah. No. And I, I think that, uh, you know, along with what you said there, Jelana, um, if you, if you can keep your eye on the prize, you know, you can do amazing things and the Lord can use you in amazing ways beyond what you think you're capable of. Mm -hmm. um, there was a study done some years ago. I think the folks at Presley Ridge in Pennsylvania and they, they did the study and, and the point of the, of, of the research was to define what, um, who succeeds as a foster parent. And so mm. the success was defined as uh, people who had, um, who had children discharged from their homes for positive reasons, that the children, you know, their, their, their families met, met, their, met their unification goals. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then after the children were discharged from their family, um, these people fostered multiple times over. So success was somebody who, who, took, who took kids to the conclusion of their plan and then did that for multiple children over mm. the course of years. And mm -hmm. the, 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 the characteristic they found that every single family that checked the success box, box had in common, sorry about mm. that, uh, was that they were child-centric, not internally focused. Yeah. And it's mm. the people who can keep their eye on the prize, the people can know, I am helping some children who would really be struggling if we didn't do this, instead of I'm fulfilling mm -hmm. something inside of me by mm -hmm. helping the children. It's the people mm -hmm. who are focused on helping the children that actually have a long-term success and help many kids over the course of many years. And, and so, uh, you know, that's one of the things we try to try to communicate people up front. You know, Kayla said, we almost want to scare them off. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, we, don't, we all know what she meant by that, right? We have to oh, give yeah. them some, enough of the reality of it so they can know what they're getting into with their eyes wide open. Because if we don't do that, the kids end up losing. Well, and I, at least I want them to when when hard things happen mm -hmm. they go oh wait i remember somebody told me that this could happen and yeah. now i don't feel like i'm all alone and on an island mm -hmm. cuz we've yeah. had kids come to us through foster care that you know we had one set of kiddos that came to us after 9 days in another foster home wow. and that foster mom was diagnosed with depression they closed their home it was mm -hmm. their first placement and they never fostered again mm -hmm. and 
those were some of the hardest kids we'd ever had. And I'm mm-hmm. convinced because she said the foster mom told me the kids, it's not the kids, it's me. I just can't manage everything. And, you know, she just she kept mm-hmm. making it about herself. And then mm-hmm. when we had those kids, they weren't in our home for 24 hours when I was like, these are really hard kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd been fostering for a while. Mm-hmm. And but I don't think she had been prepared that some of this hard was going to be there. Or maybe she just dismissed it and didn't remember that it was Mm -hmm. a possibility. And so when the hard Mm -hmm. came, it was too hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I I don't ever want people to feel that way. You know, I want them to feel like, Oh my gosh, I am a horrible parent, Mm. but instead this is a different kind of hard and I'm going to need different tools. Well, there's a great line that Jelana has in her book. So the book, no sugar coating, the Mm -hmm. coffee talk Mm -hmm. you need about foster parenting plays into this whole thing of you really don't know what it's like until you're in it. Yeah. That, I, I had to copy it down because I thought it was so good. Signing up for foster care is an invitation to raise your hand and invite heartbreak and suffering mm. into your life. That's so good. Do, 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 you should have added, oh, I wish I was preaching to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. You know, and I think obviously like the joy and all of that stuff too, but I think especially on the front end, Kayla, I so resonate with what you're talking about because Mm. I think in the world of social media and like perfectly backlit, Mm -hmm. which I don't have right now, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, photos, it can make like adoption and foster care look really like tidy and kind of cutesy. And I, I just feel like, yes, we want to communicate that there is so much joy in this journey as well, but it's also really hard. And so I feel like people will, um, they'll hopefully if they, if they choose, if they discern that this is for them and they get into it, will understand the joy of it. But I think so oftentimes there, there's this myth of what we think something's going to be like, and then there's the reality and families fall into this chasm in between. And that's where I feel like, um, you know, you being really honest and, and just, up front with people almost creates a bridge so that they don't fall in, but say, Oh, yeah. you know what? This is to be expected. Yeah. Because when I open, swing open my door to, to welcome in a child, it's welcoming in all the reasons that they were taken into foster care yeah. as well. And we can't make those rosy issues and, and kind of mm-hmm. gloss over that. Well, um, yeah. You yeah. know, Jelon, along the, along the, the, the bridge over the, over the Canyon metaphor mm-hmm. there, I think part of that bridge is built uh, in the combination of two things. And one of those things is the reality that we're talking about. But the other th- part, the component of that is the hope, mm-hmm. right? Because we know that, that people can heal. Um, mm-hmm. We also, yes. you know, we, we were teaching a class last night and part of the discussion with, the, with those people is, right, when you see challenging behaviors, sometimes we just think of parenting as a zero-sum game. That when, when, when the children don't lie about anything ever, anymore, ever, then that means that we're at the place. And that's just simply not true, right? It, it's a continuum. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. Because I, I don't know about you, but I imagine that each one of the four of us lied at least once today. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And, and so, and so there's, there's never any... Uh, as Chris theatrically rubs his chin. Trying to uh, remember. It's like, did I speak to anybody today? <laughs> uh, you, you know, and, and so I think that we have to have the reality, but we also have to have to, sh- have to point out that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and, and that tunnel may be a really, really long tunnel, but that's back to the reality again. But, but, but you know, um, you remember in the Old Testament, every single time 
God did something on behalf of the Israelites. He told them to stack 12 rocks there so when they came by that place that they would mm. remember and they could discuss what God had done there. And and I think that we're so um, so binary in our thinking, right? I mean, it's an yeah. election here. And so now you're either red or blue, which means that you're either good or bad, which means that you're either right or wrong. And that's determined by whether you agree with me or not. Uh, mm-hmm. And we don't, and, and we tend to think of things uh, in either or, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> dichotomies. And, and and the reality is, it, it's a continuum, right? It, it's a, it's it's this journey that you're on, and you have to celebrate the victories along the way because you will lose heart if you can't yeah. look back and go, oh, there was that day when mm-hmm. I wasn't called any ugly words, <laughs> and there was no fighting in the house. Well, and that's just it, Ryan. And I feel like so much. Um, so much that has like really like brought me to my knees and humbled me as a parent is celebrating Mm. those things that I before mistook as low level expectations that I now see as things worthy of celebration. And there is, there is, um, there can be grief with that. And there is also like this sense of delight at like discovery that like, wow, I never thought I would be like high-fiving my seven-year-old for not swearing on the bus, but here I'm, (laughs) here I am like celebrating things that before, you know, I would have been mortified if my, you know, some of my other kids had, had done that. Um, and yet that's, that's where we are. You know, we, we celebrate things. You kept your seatbelt on all the way to target. Good job, buddy. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yourself in Target. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That might, right. That, that might be too That's the harder the one, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's true. You know, when, when, when the children get, get angry and you got a four year old who's using uh, tier one, and that's top of the, <laughs> of the list, uh, cuss words. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, a year later, he's using tiers two and three instead of tier one. You're like, Man, he didn't use the F word once when he was angry. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And it's the things you don't think those are going to look like progress, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and sometimes I think, too, when we're in the midst of it, we miss some of the progress that's being made, but other people can speak that in and say, oh my gosh, I see so much progress. Oh, I see this. I mean, I remember we had one little one with us and she was really challenging and she Mm -hmm. was with us for about, um, six months. Mm -hmm. And when she left her aunt and uncle who are now her mom and dad, they adopted her. Um, they wrote us this really sweet letter about all the changes they, so they had known her before, um, she Mm -hmm. moved in with us. She'd actually lived with them for a time, um, and had kind of moved around a little and they were getting her back. And so when she went back to them, they wrote us this really sweet letter about all the changes and all the positive that they saw Mm. in her after having been in our home. Mm. And I just cried because I thought we had been a failure. Mm. Like I didn't think we had done anything. She was so hard. And in the midst of fostering her too, we'd had a miscarriage. And so Mm. I just thought this was just like, I thought it was a failure of a placement. Like I just thought Mm. we hadn't made any difference in her life. I didn't Mm -hmm. see the improvements and her aunt and uncle were like, thank you so much for caring for her so well and for loving her. And we see all these improvements and they just listed them out. And I was like, ah, so I think sometimes being close to it, we don't see some of the progress that's being made. And so having, having other people that can say, wow, what a, you know, what improvements I've seen. And so I always try when I, you know, I'm talking to foster parents and I see them with their kids and then I see them later. I'm like, try and point out those things. Cause yeah. I know they're so frustrated and they're so, yeah. you know, 
kind of on, on edge going, I don't think I'm making any progress. And I'm like, no, I see progress. Well, and sometimes too, I think when we're circling around the same struggle, it can be really tempting to feel like we are circling around and engaging the same thing over and over, but not totally realizing that there are other things that are coming along too. Um, and, and, but I think that that's where it's the beauty of community to speak that out to one another, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we're so close to it. We just can't see it and we need others to just, um, encourage us to, to celebrate things when, even when we feel really defeated or like we're not making a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know I've been encouraged tonight by Jelana. So thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. You're 30 minutes in, you can tell why we think she's awesome. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And, you know, we're not going to end the conversation here. uh, We're going to talk a little longer with Jelana, but that's only going to be available to our Patreon subscribers. Yes. So we will include the show notes to our Patreon page, and you can go subscribe over there and listen to our continuing conversation. All right. So uh, yeah. not, not just for my edification here, are you saying goodbye at the end of this one? Like you're landing the plane or we're just suspending drink service for five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for everyone who is uh, just listening to the podcast and their podcast app of choice, we are definitely landing the plane. Okay. But for everyone else, we're just suspending drink service for five minutes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I love that. Well, so patreon.com slash empowered parents, right? That's that where correct. They- they can go to find those extra videos. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Okay, awesome. I'm excited to have more conversation. And if you've got any questions for us, you can shoot us an email at info at onebighappyhome.com. I'm always anxious to hear from someone on Twitter. It comes very <laughs> infrequently, but if you can squeeze your question into 280 characters, you can tweet it to us at One Big Happy Home. Somebody tweet one at One Big Happy Home. Chris, why do you want Twitter questions? <laughs> Chris loves Twitter. Like, it's his favorite it's, social it, media platform. It's my wow. original social media platform. Yes. You know, it's the one I was on first and the longest. And, <laughs> yeah. It, it, is the, it is your first love. It is my first social <laughs> media love. love. Social media. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> As always, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, the Google Play Store, and on Spotify. Just search for the Empowered Parent Podcast. The Empowered Parent Podcast is committed to helping parents of foster and adopted kids through connecting, correcting, and empowering principles. Thank you for listening.